this is gonna be the best book you ever read. Like, this is your new favorite book. Off the internet, man. I need to go be introverted. <laughs> Welcome to the City Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Books in the City. I'm Libby. I'm Emily. I'm Becky. And I'm Nicole. Yay. <laughs> yeah. Yay. Yeah. Welcome, yeah. Nicole. You may notice our a missing member of the pod that Nicole is replacing. Don't panic. Kayla will be back. This is a really crazy time warp situation where I'm not even going to try to explain to you what time in history or future that we're in right now. But basically, if you follow Kayla, you know that she's dealing with some family things or she did in the past. And that's why she's not here, but she'll be back. Hey, let's do the time warp again. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Hello. Yeah, yay, yeah, welcome. Yeah. Are you happy to be back on on the speaking side of the podcast? Of course. It's always a good time here. <laughs> you said that so deadpan that I don't believe a word of it. <laughs> always a good time. Always a great time. <laughs> speaking of good times, thank you to everyone who came to last week's beautiful world where are you book club it was so much fun even though we just talked about the time warp so obviously that hasn't happened yet but I think it was so (laughs) much fun and we appreciate your presence and hope you enjoyed the the book or at least the conversation about the book hooray and speaking of book club I'd like to remind everyone (laughs) that um my book club pick, The Inheritance of Arcadia Divina, will be November 22nd at 8 p.m. That's a Monday. I will see you there. See you there. Let's get let's get jiggy with it. <laughs> well, so we have Nicole here, as you noticed. Um, and you've heard us mention about her new shop, Astoria Press. And I thought maybe she should shed some light on her project to the world because she can say it better than any of us can. Um, I don't know if that's true, but <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, Astoria is a design business I'd opened for just making Greek-specific mythology merchandise. So there's totes, there's t-shirts, there's sweatshirts, um, and the first collection was Gods and Goddesses, and then the new collection that just came out um, in October is monsters and so you know if you like the terrors of uh <laughs> greek mythology they're here for you now Ooh, yes it. who's they're your favorite so good. monster mm, i mean medusa's cool because you know she's technically a tragedy too yeah. so it's like a two for one same with arachne oh yeah she's like the half spider woman spider woman yeah nice so everybody make sure you go to <laughs> historiapress.com. Huzzah. Yeah. That's Historia. <laughs> That's I with an Astoria I. with an I. Yes. I S T O R I A. And does that mean Press. what does that mean? Um Astoria means history in Greek. Awesome. Ooh. Oh cool. I like Love that. It. I didn't know that. Now you know. It's my super short show. 
Do you guys remember <laughs> that on Disney Channel? Yeah. Yeah. Sure do. I don't know where that recovered memory just came from, but it popped <laughs> up right to the surface. <laughs> L- love it. How are the fish doing? Are they enjoying the fall weather? Swimmingly. Yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> The Dane lovely. <laughs> and they would like to know, what is one article of clothing that someone could wear that would make you walk out on a first date with them. Okay, I would not walk out on somebody on a first date. I'd let the date play out and hate every moment of it and then leave <laughs> because I'm too awkward of a person to be boldly like dismissal. I mean, I guess if they were terribly rude to me, I could walk out, but I wouldn't based on an item of clothing. But in the world in a world where I am <laughs> somebody who would walk out on somebody in a <laughs> based on an item of clothing, it would definitely be gray sweatpants. I don't think that men should wear them in public. Ooh. That's Why? all. I feel like a lot of people are really feeling themselves in gray sweatpants. Yeah, it's kind of the thing. It's because they can, because right we can see their ding along. That's the whole point. <laughs> <Ding-along>. Yeah. <laughs> oh They're my ding-along. God. Not ding a ling, ding along. <laughs> you don't want to see the. <laughs> The long ling along? Not when I'm out for like a glass of wine. That's you know? exactly when I'd want to see one. I'd be swigging <laughs> two wine glasses. I'm two glasses in and I would be like, mm-hmm. Emily. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. This is wow, a PG wow. podcast. No, it is not. <laughs> <laughs> the two extremes are very anti or very pro <laughs> gray sweatpants yeah. on this pod. This is actually funny that you bring this up because literally this morning I saw a TikTok from Hank Green where he was like, I know I'm going to get a lot of hate for this, but for God's sake, stop wearing hats in fancy restaurants. My grandma would kick your ass. <laughs> wow. So um, it's funny that you bring this up, <laughs> but hats are not something I would walk out on somebody about unless okay. they were paired with gray sweatpants. Mm. Um, I'm on the same page where it would. I think it would take a lot for me to like walk out of a date with someone, you know, just that's like a very extreme uh, thing, especially just based on an item of clothing. But I guess I would say anything like, uh, okay, the, the general like blanket statement would be just like bedazzling. And then I would <laughs> zero in on brands like... Ed Hardy or like mm. that kind of uh what if it was a 2000s themed party though why yeah. are we going to that on our first date <laughs> no this, is, this has become a very specific <laughs> that would first be a great date. first date actually what you're yeah. like if you just meet up with someone who looks like Nick Carter you're like hello <laughs> what <laughs> yeah so that's mine bedazzling slash Ed Hardy I have a an uh, an addition to make to mine that would be a Make America Great Again hat. Mm. Yeah, so you've both actually just taken the only two ideas that came to mind because <laughs> I was like, I don't because if someone was wearing a wearing a MAGA hat to a first date, that suggests that their politics are not in agreement with some of my core values, um, and I don't think we'd have a lot in common beyond that. Um, <laughs> But I do dress like a 
troll on a daily basis, so far be it from me to like judge what other people are wearing. However, I feel like maybe on top of what you guys already said, like maybe a popped collar just like doesn't do it for me <laughs> unless it's the woolen pea coat in Sherlock. That's the only time it works. <laughs> so you would walk out on someone if their collar was popped. You'd be like, I wouldn't walk I out. It. You'd go to the bathroom and not come back. I would think twice. I'd be like, so if he like comes into the date with the polo collar down, then halfway through he pops it, you just like bolt <laughs> right in the middle. Uh, potentially. It just depends. <laughs> you know what it is? It's like maybe I'm thinking again like the 2000s like double collar as well. Like I don't know who in their right mind would be wearing that, but. I think it's coming back, so be prepared. I just, I had to spitball really quick backup idea because you guys already already beat me to the punchline what about you nicole um i mean i'm just gonna go with the blanket statement we've all made where it's like i wouldn't go back for a second date because of it and uh i'd have to say crocs oh good good one yes crocs or um if i had to do a backup uh the like you know standard brand of t-shirt i forget oh my god what is it like it's like fruit of the loom supreme no 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 it's like no 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 no. it's like um with the it has like crosses and stuff a lot and Ed Hardy. Um, is it Ed hardy no no oh my god crosses. is it like s- skater true religion or like s- is it bible school it's like a lot of bros wear them like they probably oh. go to the gym and wait like, like preppy like the white bros the like I... Austin 316 t-shirts. What are these t-shirts? I don't, I don't know what that is. I can't. I, I don't really, even know I what. Really am, I'm not going to be able to think of it, but basically it's like bros wear to the gym. There's usually crosses and then like a couple rhinestone sparkles patterned throughout. Um, if I come up with it, I'll make them post something about <laughs> it somewhere, some way. <laughs> yeah, that doesn't sound like something somebody should wear on a first date. That's for sure. Should we talk about books? I think so. I think we should. Libby. So, first of all, thank you to everyone in our fan club who voted and helped me pick which book to talk about today. I was in the middle of four different reads and asked everyone to weigh in on what I should finish in time for this recording. So, I am talking about the Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo by Taylor Jenkins oh Reid, which has come up on this podcast a lot. I feel like we're name dropping Evelyn Hugo, but yeah, I don't, nobody's talked about it, right? I don't think so. No. Okay. So this one, it has been on my radar for a long time, especially since I read uh, Daisy Jones last year and was obsessed with it. But yeah, I'm definitely like, would consider myself a Taylor Jenkins Reid fan after these two because they were super impressive and great this book kicks off with an introduction to one of the main characters I would say Um, her name is Monique and she's a journalist living in New York City and she's just been assigned kind of to the biggest story of her life so far she gets called into her boss's office because this mega star like reclusive old Hollywood queen named Evelyn Hugo is agreeing to an interview for the first time in 
like years, decades, actually. Wow. That was annoying how I just said that, but she's, she's very like private, doesn't do interviews. So she is agreeing to an interview, which is huge in and of itself. She also is only agreeing to speak to Monique. And so Monique's boss is like, why does this huge reclusive star want to talk to you? Like, do you have some connection to her? What's going on? And Monique's like, I'm just as in the dark as you are. I don't know what's going on. So she's obviously confused. She doesn't know Evelyn. There's like no connection that she knows of. The other thing is on paper, this interview, it's about a dress auction that Evelyn is holding um, to raise money for breast cancer research. And that subject or like covering an old starlet's dress auction isn't really Monique's wheelhouse. So she's like, why have I been chosen? This is bizarre. But obviously she knows this could be like make or break for her career. So, and her curiosity is piqued. So she goes to Evelyn Hugo's apartment to figure out like what's going on. So during their first meeting, um, Evelyn tells her that she actually has no interest in doing an interview about the dress auction. And she used that only as an excuse to get Monique there because she has decided that she wants to write a biography and just like share and divulge all the secrets of her life. But she wants Monique to be the one to write it because she has read some of Monique's past work and thinks she's the only one who could like pull it off basically. But there are a few catches with this. Evelyn says that she is going to tell Monique everything, but the book she's not allowing the book to be like shopped around or sold until after Evelyn Hugo dies. So, and at this point, I think she was in her like seventies, eighties. So it doesn't seem like, and she, you know, she's in like fine health on the surface, it seems. So it doesn't seem like this is like imminent and Monique's like, okay, well, I'm intrigued, but also like, when will I actually realistically be able to like publish this book? And so that's one thing she's weighing. And the other thing is Evelyn tells Monique that she can't tell her boss about this. And so Monique's just like kind of put in a tough position because like her credibility as a reporter is everything to her in her career. And um, I don't know. Anyway, ultimately she agrees because this is just like a once in a lifetime opportunity. And she herself is kind of intrigued about Evelyn's life. So she agrees to do it. From here, the book jumps back and forth between uh, the real time like interview happening between Evelyn and Monique and back in time to Evelyn's life story, basically. So she talks about being born and growing up in Hell's Kitchen and how she like got into Hollywood, how she got a start on her career. As the title indicates or makes obvious, Evelyn Hugo has been married seven times. So that's kind of obviously the juiciest part of all of this. She's never opened up about any of her marriages, but to Monique, she agrees to discuss her marriages for the first time and share who like her one true love of her life is, uh, which I'm not going to be specific about because it's like a twist and it feels like juicy as you're reading it, almost as if you're reading the biography. And yeah, also in that sense, it kind of reminded me of City of Girls with like that one also starts with this like present day elderly lady, like 
writing a story about her life. And this was a similar vibe, but this one spent a little more time in both like the past and the present, which I really enjoyed. And then you also in this one get like more of a sense of how Evelyn Hugo's past like intertwines with her present and a little bit more about like why she's choosing to do this now and like what her goal for this story ultimately is, which again, I'm being vague about because it kind of becomes as I was reading, just like bombshell after bombshell, where I was just like, Mm -hmm. whoa, okay, this is incredible. And it's very juicy. And I will also say, this is something I, I think I noticed in Daisy Jones as well. But like, this author is very good at dropping bombshells, I guess. That's like the simplest way to explain it. But she just like, like so at one point I'm reading and I think we were only on like husband number four or something for Evelyn. And I was getting a little bit like, oh my God, we still have like three husbands. How much more could this, you know, how much longer could the story last? And then something happens in the present day where Monique drops a detail about like alluding to something that Evelyn was about to tell her that like elicited a strong reaction. And I was immediately like, wait, what? And you, it's just like these very strategically placed like mentions, which was kind of cool just as a parallel to this like Hollywood gossip Mm -hmm. sort of obsession. So yeah, I really enjoyed reading that. And you know, it's funny. I don't remember anything about that interview format because the bombshells were so like, Ooh, and yeah. I forgot that there were it's interviews funny. in this, to be honest. Like, it's been a, such oh, a long yeah. time since I've read that book, but I know I loved it. And I know that I've been part of the chorus on this podcast, like telling you to read it because it's so good. But like, I feel like I'm hearing about this book for the first time because it's been so long. And like, Libby texted me asking about some detail in the book. And I was like, I truly have no idea. (laughs) Like, I don't remember (laughs) at all. (laughs) I do not recall the details. I do not ask any more questions. Yeah, it's, I mean, I'm definitely focusing, like, the focus of the book is on Evelyn's life. But I did really find the format of, like, and the role that Monique plays in the story, which becomes kind of a twist in and of itself I found that like a really interesting way to read about this rather than just like here's Evelyn Hugo now she's reclusive but Mm -hmm. here's her story you know what I mean like it was it was this like almost mind not mind game but like you're learning about her life and you're learning about all of the sometimes like terrible things she was willing to do to like further her own Hollywood career. And then you're seeing her in present day and she's this old woman and you start to like put some pieces together about like, she's always been motivated by, you know, her own fame and stuff. Like what could she be doing? Like, it's just like everything has, uh, you know, a purpose or intention and to see that play out like in real time was really fun to read. If that makes sense. I don't know. I also felt like Evelyn Hugo was supposed to be kind of like Elizabeth Taylor or something. I don't know. I just literally just finished it today and then got on this recording. But I'm definitely going to do research or like, you know, read interviews and stuff with the author because I'm sure there's some real life inspo references to like, yeah, any I don't know, because also there's 
you know, like real films being referenced, I think. Now that I say that, I don't actually Well, that's one of the things that's about even true. Taylor Jenkins Reid. I feel like the way she writes, it feels like it's real. Like with Daisy Jones, mm-hmm. I felt like when I was reading that book that this band, Daisy Jones and the Six, what was a real band. So it's like the fact yes. that you're unsure whether those movies were real or not, like just goes to show how good she is at selling her story to the reader. Yeah. And like, you know, this like pivotal moment in Evelyn's career where she played the role of Anna Karenina. Like I know there is an Anna Karenina movie that came out in like the 50s or 60s, I think. And I'm like, is that, was that Elizabeth Taylor? I don't know. So anyway, I'm going to like definitely go down a rabbit hole soon on this one. But yeah, other than that, I also loved the element of like old Hollywood starlets just being allowed to be more than the people that they were married to or like in general more than the juicy tabloid drama of their lives like I've mentioned that the juicy tabloid bits in this book are part of what kept me like turning the pages but at the same time I don't know like it portrays this character in such a more well-rounded light and also I don't, you know, as you're hearing her or as she's sharing her own story, she's like not allowing herself to become reduced to these like dramatic moments because you just get to hear her in her own words talk about just the complexities of her own, all of her decisions. And like, you know, she's a fully human person who's more than like the fact that she was married to seven different men. So I loved that just like, I don't know, as an example of like how even present day, like celebrities or anyone really is like reduced to one or two like noteworthy scandalous things. And Mm. it really takes away the, the like gray area in everyone. So what did you rate it? Um, four and a half. Okay stars <laughs> okay four this was killing me yeah maybe 4.25 4.25 stars i was really between four and four and a half so Ooh. very specific four and a quarter yeah what what really pushed that point to i know yeah a great question i can't say without like uh spoiling things but okay nice <laughs> nice yeah that was the seven husbands of Emily. Oh, Emily. <laughs> Emily. I think uh, Libby is prophesizing. Of Emily. Oh, I was going to say your last name. Okay. The seven husbands of Evelyn Hugo by Taylor Jenkins Reid. Nicole, what did you read? I just read If We Were Villains by ML Rio. Oh. I'm excited to hear you talk about this because this is on my TBR. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's been on my TBR for a long time. It came out in 2017, so it's not like new or anything. I just had never gotten around to it. It's dark academia season, so here <laughs> we are. Yes, it is. So it's very, very similar to uh, The Secret History by Donna Tart. Um, I know Emily talked about that on here. I don't know if anyone, if either of you two read no, it. No, not I yet. Attention. It's on my TBR. Um, <laughs> it's also super good. Um, I would say this one reads a little easier. It's okay. a little less like, 
I don't know. Donna Tart just has a very specific style of writing that is like very. She's very verbose. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And this is a little like less that way. I still loved both of them, but I don't agree. A lot of people on Goodreads were like, oh, this is a ripoff. It's like the same book, but it's really not to me and all. I'll tell you. <laughs> so <laughs> it's about a group of friends who are part of this Shakespearean unaccredited college. So, like, if you specifically want to be a theater student who studies only Shakespeare for four years and, like, you get the street cred of going to this super amazing college and can basically do any, like, show after, but you don't have a physical degree when you're done. And they Mm, do, you know, as an art student who has a physical degree, that still feels relatable. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, and they, like, they talk about that, like... Yeah, they talk about that where it's like, do I if I'm going to be doing Shakespeare plays, like, do I really need a degree? Mm-hmm. So there's multiple productions a year and each year, like a bunch of kids get cut. Like basically the graduating class is like 10 kids by the end of everything because they keep getting cut if they're not good enough and like to be cast Whoa. and stuff. So it's pretty cutthroat. And so the group that it focuses on has finally made it to senior year we kind of pick up like right as that's starting and they're starting to cast their first show. So they're doing Caesar first for their first thing. And then they also have like an additional Halloween spooky Macbeth scene that they do every Halloween. That's like immersive on the beach at night with like bonfires. It's all very like visceral. It's not so much a show. It's just like amongst the students. We go to that population um, and like it's very secretive like you get a letter that tells you who you're playing and you're not allowed to tell anyone else and there's no practice you just show up and like hope everyone knows what they're doing and then you jump in when it's your turn I wish that everyone could see Emily's facial expression Emily's whole time has been like getting closer and closer scouring Libby Overdrive right now so that I can place my hold <laughs> yeah it's very like the vibes are strong the atmosphere is very strong it's definitely like you're in it but as you can imagine, like the outcome of that is that it's a really competitive school and all the kids are like in this Shakespearean bubble of like drama and like Shakespeare's type of writing is very like dramatic. So they've been stuck in this for four years with only other kids studying the same thing. So they've kind of lost touch of like reality a little and it's kind of gotten to the point where their characters are like blending slightly with like their real selves. And Interesting. so when the book mm. actually opens, this isn't a spoiler, when the book actually opens, you see Oliver, who's the main main character that you read from the point of view of, and he's in jail. And you don't know why they haven't like elaborated on anything, but it's been 10 years and he's being let out in the first like five pages. And this detective who was working on the case all the time came in and was like, I retired. I just want you to tell me what happened that night just so I can sleep at night because I can't figure it out (laughs) and so it flips back and forth between Oliver like pausing in current day to like have a quick discussion and like learn stuff about being on the outside again and then flashing back to like all of this stuff at school and I mean it's a thriller but not in the sense that like I don't know I I kind of thought it was a little obvious but it's less about like who done it versus like the buildup of everyone losing their minds a little and like the guilt getting to people and the like cracks are starting to show and it's just kind of like when's it gonna tip kind of thing Ooh, 
I'm sold. Yeah, that's my favorite kind of like thriller mystery. Yeah, and then like by the end of it, there's just like this really crazy open-ended last page that like kind of throws you for a loop. So Ooh. I mean, it's it's a really cool ending. And so like while I can see how people are like, oh, it's too similar to the secret history. Like it's a small liberal arts college where privileged kids are like kind of slowly losing their minds. But like other than that, it's a super original premise there's tons of like Shakespeare nods there's tons of actually like unique plot and storyline there so yeah man well I'm excited to read this this book has so many holds on it gonna have to wait how long do you have to wait like nine weeks are you kidding me so what did you rate it yeah I rated it five five stars nice um yeah and that was if we were villains by ML Rio. I hadn't heard of this. I did. It's like but a I pretty remember... popular color to see or color. It's a pretty popular cover to see on Bookstagram. Yeah. So good. But like, you know, this is at the time where people start posting it with like their coffees and their pumpkin stuff out <laughs> and the thing. Because it's not like horror, but it's still like it's got a good spook cover. It's like fall, autumn. And yeah, I remember like factors. when it first came out, it had mixed like reception or something so i must have stayed it has a really high goodreads review now i think like the only negative stuff i was seeing was people who like either thought it was a ripoff of the secret history or people who were like why do i want to read about these like privileged liberal art kids like making up their own problems (laughs) (laughs) i'm just like but it's like the psychology of it is like what gets them there emily what did you read okay I also read an atmospheric kind of read called The Changeling by Victor Lavelle. And actually, I did this on audiobook, which was narrated by the author. And I thought that was interesting because I don't usually see fiction narrated by the author. This book had me thinking a lot about kind of like the structure of fairy tales and why we continue to pass them down. And it's essentially because... You know, everybody wants to protect their children, and in its essence, that's what a fairy tale is. It's a cautionary piece of advice um, to keep your kids kind of, like, protected from the big, scary world. So since this book reads like a fairy tale, I'll begin my plot summary with Once Upon a Time. (laughs) There was an immigrant from Uganda and a corrections officer who met at, like, a sketchy modeling agency they decide to go on a date and end up seeing Rocky, the, the movie, mm. and quickly fall in love. Eventually, they have a kid they name Apollo in honor of their time on their first date. So one day, the father decides to leave his baby and Apollo and the mother of his child behind. Um, and Apollo grows up to become a very smart kid who kind of like runs this scheme to sell used magazines to people in his apartment building. <laughs> Interesting. And he, he makes a little bit of money off it. However, he's plagued by this chronic nightmare, which is essentially a scene where his apartment's filled with smoke and fog, and there's a knock at the door, and when he opens it, it's a man who stole his father's face. So Apollo thinks, you know, this is just a dream, but it, it like, continuously plagues him throughout his childhood until one day in high school while his mother's kind of like out of town or 
out at work, he accidentally floods the bathroom, which generates like a lot of fog in the apartment. And he hears a knock at the door. And when he opens the door, there's a box labeled improbabilia containing pictures of him and his missing father and kind of like things from his past. With that said, Apollo's like continuing to grow up and he turns this scheme he's running with the used magazines into like a bona fide book reseller business and he decides to name it Improbabilia in honor of that box that he found outside his um door. So one day his used book business takes him to a library sale in Washington Heights. Hey, oh, I know that branch of the library. <laughs> and <laughs> he meets a librarian named Emma. They eventually fall in love. Ah, we love uh, when bibliophiles get together. And have a child named Brian after Apollo's absent father. Quickly after Brian's birth, Emma starts to act kind of weird. Like, she keeps getting mysterious text messages of Brian, so their newborn infant, like, on the on the sidewalk. Or, like, pictures of him sleeping. Or just, like, weird, intimate photos of their infant that mysteriously disappear before she can, set, like, share them with Apollo, her husband. And eventually Emma is so, like, plagued by these images that she stops sleeping. And one day Apollo confronts her about her behavior and is like, you know, what's going on here? And she claims that the baby isn't the real Brian, which is concerning. Whoa. And then... Concerning to say the least. Yeah. This all kind of boils to a head when Emma commits violence against Apollo and when he comes to, both Emma and Brian are gone. They've disappeared and they're presumed to be dead. So it's up to Apollo then to confront kind of his fictional and real life demons to find his family. So it's kind of got like magical, mystical elements to it that interweave into this, what I would consider like traditional mystery. It's a bit of a slow burn. But I was amazed at how captivated by it all I was. It's such a New York City book, like definitely told from the perspective of a native who grew up here and understands like the nooks and crannies of this little island, especially there was like, I did a lot of Googling. I, have you guys heard of like North Brother Island or something? Yeah. I have not. That was on an episode of Broad City. Oh, well. <laughs> That's where Abby know, had to go get her be... package from FedEx. Oh, yeah, that the that where they had to go or, get the package. <laughs> oh, okay. I didn't catch Never that. Never forget. Did you know that there's magical, mystical witches living there? <laughs> Are there? Yeah. That was not covered in the episode. <laughs> the so, woman who Abby had to get her package from was definitely magical. Oh, yeah. Actually, that makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, I just love the way he painted the landscape of New York City and it just made me feel like when I was walking around, because a lot of this is set kind of like in and around my neighborhood. So I was walking in my local haunts and listening to this book where like basically magic was just built in beyond the veil of reality. Like if I only turned my head and knew where to look, there would be like this whole other mystical realm that I'm missing. But Apollo is like tapped into. So I just felt like it was very heightened for me. I, that's my favorite kind of magic storyline where 
it's not this like separate space from the world we're living in. There's just like bits of magic in everyday life. So I really enjoyed reading that. And I also like the way it played with kind of fairy tale tropes and modernized them. I don't even want to like give away what the dual meanings for modern society and the fairy tales would be because there's some like characters and monsters that come into play. And I thought the way he wrote the modernization of these like creatures was really interesting. I just found it to be a very like atmospheric read. And if you enjoy retellings or like New York City stories or family dramas, you'd probably really like this one. It's a little bit on the long side. And I don't know that you're going to get like the resolution of plot you would love for. But I thought as a teaching tool, like as a almost like a Grimm Brothers fairy tale, it felt very literally a modern fairy tale, which I really enjoyed. Nice. What did you rate it? I gave it like a four out of five. Awesome. It's a solid rating. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I nice. thought it was really great. Honestly, I never read like actual books that are set all over the city, but are housed mostly in like the places that I spend most of my time. I was like, yes, I live here. And so do the ghouls and goblins and witches and creatures. <laughs> and what was that called? <laughs> the, the Changeling by Victor Lavelle. Cool. Uh, Becky, would you read? Okay, so I read The Riviera House by Natasha Lester. It came out in August of this year. And you might have heard me interview Natasha on Thursday. So if you didn't, you can go back and listen. But if you didn't, you can also listen to what I have to say. (laughs) I don't know where I'm going with this. Before I start talking about it, though, content warning, death of a spouse, death of a child, mentions of suicidal ideation and depression. So if you can go back in your mind to last summer, I covered a book on here called The Night Portrait, which was about a painting that was stolen by the Nazis. And it was also about the resistant workers who fought to get it back. So if you haven't listened to that episode or read that book, I do recommend it. But if you did and you enjoyed it, then you're probably going to love this book because it has a similar story. This is the first time that I've read a book in a long time where I absolutely cried at the end of it like not just like tears but like a full like cry (gasps) whoa so why don't i just get into it this book is 500 pages long kind of almost like 480 something so keep that in mind you may recognize this author as the one that emily picked for kayla for our book swap last (laughs) christmas even though we had a page limit she assigned a book by this author so this author likes to write long (laughs) books but it's worth it i promise emily is rolling her eyes hard (laughs) like she likes you a liz lemon eye roll right now i'm gonna try to discuss it as best i can but like i said it's a long book so i'm gonna compress it as much as i can it's a dual timeline one of the timelines as you might have guessed is during world war ii it's in paris our main character is alien And she is an artist and so is her brother. She also takes care of her sisters and works at the father's restaurant. So she's doing a lot. When this book opens, we're in her perspective and the war is kind of just beginning. And it was kind of creepy because it reminded me a lot of how like we experienced COVID the way that she was talking about the war. Obviously, these two things are vastly different, but the way that they talked about it before it kind of hit she is kind of mentioning like oh well the germans would never come to paris like the war would never come to paris like 
that's happening elsewhere. And it felt a lot like the way we talked about like, oh, well, COVID's just some virus like in uh, other countries. It's not going to come here. It's not going to get bad here. So it kind of reminded me that I was like, oof. But anyway, so she's living her life. She's, you know, there's like this kind of thing in the back of her mind that this war might be coming. She's falling in love with this guy named Xavier. And she's just trying to do her best um, in life. Then one day Xavier leaves for England and she's heartbroken. She's like, am I ever going to see him again? She like starts to hate him. How dare he leave? And so she and her brother, they spend a lot of, they're both artists. They spend a lot of time at the Louvre. She works there part time. In addition to all her other part time jobs, she's doing a lot. Like I said, they have to go to the Louvre and help take the art down and send it away to Chateau's in the countryside to keep it safe from potential bombing. So it's this like very emotional moment in the book where these famous paintings, the Mona Lisa, famous sculptures, this like there's this scene where this famous sculpture that I don't remember which one it was um, (laughs) is being carried down the steps of the Louvre and everyone's like holding their breath and like crying because they're just hoping that it makes it to the bottom and then that they can send it off to the chateau to be safe. And it's like so emotional. And so they're sending it, sending the art off. I've said that enough times, you know, the art in the Louvre is being sent off. Very quickly, Eliane ends up working at the Jus de Palme, which is an art museum in Paris. And this is where the Nazis, and this is fast forward, like the Nazis have, have come to Paris. This is where the Nazis have set up shop and this is where they keep all of the art that they've taken from Jewish collectors and they're going through it and having like little art shows to decide like which ones they want to keep for themselves or which ones Hitler's gonna want and which ones they're just gonna burn in the street like horrible so why is Elian working there you might be asking yourself well She's helping to catalog everything, but what the Germans don't know about her is that she can speak German, she can understand German, and she's mm-hmm. listening to every word that's being said. Got him. Yeah. And <laughs> reporting back to her former boss at the Louvre and the famous Rose Valland, who you might know about, you might not, but she was the main character in The Night Portrait, who was the woman who was working at the Jus de Pomme and taking down information about where all the artworks were going so Spy. yeah like they were working for the resistance so that's yes. elian and then the other i mentioned that it's a dual timeline the other timeline is 2015 you have remy and she's grieving after having tragically lost both her husband and her young daughter and in her grief she's really just poured into her work she has this like vintage boutique like online on instagram Um, And she loans her vintage pieces to celebrities and to magazines for photo shoots and to the celebrities to like walk the red carpet like the Emmy Awards. So she's doing really well for herself selling these vintage pieces and like working with um, the fashion industry. I freaking loved reading about her clothes. I was like, I would kill for her boutique to be real and for me to be able to afford to buy something from it because it like the descriptions of these like (laughs) 19, I guess, 20s beach pajamas. I was like. I think I need beach pajamas. Like why? I don't know, but it sounds amazing. What is a beach pajama? Like flowy silk, like <laughs> things that they wore on the beach, like as kind of a cover up thing, but more like pajamas, a cover up. Like, yeah, kind of. I'm going to call my cover ups beach pajamas now. <laughs> so she's living in the south of France for the summer in this house on the Riviera that she inherited in some very mysterious way. And I'm not going to say 
the mysterious way, obviously. So in between her grief and anger about losing her husband, Remy is just trying to move on and figure out if, if she's ready to love again and if she could ever love someone again. And she's also exploring this beautiful home that she mysteriously inherited. And she comes across this like published book. I don't want you to think it's like a book that was just like in a drawer that's like not a real book. It's like basically a, I imagined it to be like a coffee table book. And it's cataloging and telling the story of all of the art that was stolen by the Nazis and kept at the Jus de Pomme. And this stops her in her tracks, this book, because in the book is the painting that has been hanging on her bedroom wall for her entire life. <gasps> what? Wait, why do I feel like we've... Is that also the plot of Night Portrait? No. Was there a book that someone talked about where there was like a a painting oh like a lady circus nights lady lady circus yeah, ladies of the Constance secret surface yeah, oh okay yeah it's similar it's kind of <laughs> lady it's circus similar in the fact that that has nothing to do with world war ii and the nazi stealing art <laughs> yeah <laughs> um but yes she had a painting her whole life that like may or may not have been worth something but yes so that's all i'm gonna say Basically, I thought that this was an amazing work of historical fiction. The war, the war timeline is heart-wrenching, as you can imagine. It's fascinating. And the current day timeline is also heart-wrenching and beautiful. And both of the timelines have romance and love, but not in a way that I feel like some historical fiction. And I, if you listen to my interview with Natasha, I mentioned this. Some historical fiction that is about a real person, and this one's only kind of vaguely about a real person. Our main characters are not real people, but they have people in in the sidelines of the book that are real. But a lot of the historical fiction out there about a real woman in history, especially in World War II, the main point of the book is their romance. And to me, I want to hear about like the cool stuff that they did. But this book, the way the romance was done was so good and like I cannot get over how good it was. <laughs> like, I loved it, and it made me cry a lot. It's a five-star read, for sure, from me. So I highly recommend it. It is a long, like I said. I don't, I don't think I felt like it was slow at any point. I did take my time reading it, but it wasn't. I actually had to put it down because I was like, I don't want this book to end. So, wow. I don't think it was too long, <laughs> but if you read this and you disagree, I'd love to chat. Um, I'd also love to chat if you did agree. <laughs> so check out my interview with her. I have plugged it at least four times, um, which came out this past Thursday and check out the book. It was very good. And that book was The Riviera House by Natasha Lester. What is on your TBR, Becky? Okay, so on my TBR is The Paris Bookseller by Carrie Mayer. Carrie Mayer is a friend of the pod, one of our first ever interviews. And she was kind enough to send her book that comes out in, I think it's March or January, in January, for me and Kayla to bring along with us to Paris, which is happening next week. So I'm going to read it on the plane. Wow. Unreal. I'm so excited. Um, Emily, what's on your TBR? Okay, I would like to read Summer Suns by Lee Mandela. Hey. Hey, hey, hey. Speaking we of dark academia. Yeah. yeah. I think, Nicole, I think you would like that as well. Anything with dark academia, you can just pretty much blanket sign oh, me yeah. up. 
Nicole, what's on your TBR? I really want to read um, the second Kingdom of Cards book called When Night Breaks. I don't know if you talked about it, Becky. Um, The first one was the uh, Where Dreams Descend. Yeah, Yeah. so the second one's coming out this month. So I want to read. It's, yeah, by Janella When you said that, I was like, I don't know what the Kingdom of Cards means. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I... (laughs) Yeah, that's the name of the series. That makes sense because that is Kingdom is Cards. Libby, what's on your TBR? Thanks for asking. Um, I, on my TBR soon, I want to read High School by Tegan Quinn and Sarah Quinn, who are also known as oh Tegan God. and Sarah. I was like, wait. <laughs> Twin sisters who wrote a memoir. That's cool. Yeah. Wait, also, I was going to say my Instagram, but I'm changing my Evelyn Hugo rating to 4.5 again. <laughs> I just wanted, wanted to say that. Uh, and my Instagram is sleep, run, read, repeat. I'm at the Lazy Library. I'm C. Nick Reed. I'm at Becky in the Bookshelves. You can also follow our friend who's not here today, Kayla at KredWhat. And then you can follow all of us at Books in the City Pod. Let me see if I can do Kayla's spiel. I've heard it enough times. Make sure you rate, review, subscribe, whatever it is you have to do on whatever platform it is you're listening on. Go to our website, booksinthecitypod.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter. You can find all of it at Books in the City Pod. Join the fan club, buy some merch, check out lists of books that we've talked about on every single episode at bookshop.org, which you can link over to from the website, which is very exciting. I don't know what else to say, but thanks for listening. Also check check out oh, yeah. astoriapress.com or on Instagram. Go buy yourself your favorite monster. Do it. Bye. We love you. I don't know why I'm late. Our main character is a a <laughs> Remix. (laughs) Put that thing back. Flip it and reverse it. It's a French name and I like practice saying it out loud. (laughs) Oh. (laughs) No, I'm messing it up. It's a... Oh, Oh, no. (laughs)